There is no perfect pregnancy, birth, or parent. And yet we rarely hear the real stories. It's time we speak up. Mom, actress, and advocate Tatiana Ali hosts Unspoken Stories, a new podcast from March of Dimes featuring real stories from the joys of parenthood to what happens when things don't go according to plan. You can listen to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting unspokenstories.org. We see a lot of perfect images of pregnancy, birth, and parenting, but more and more people are standing up to tell their real stories. In this podcast, you will hear some of those real stories. From the joy of parenting and the complexities of dealing with illness with Atrix and mom, Jamie Lynn Sigler, a mom coping with loss and raising two toddlers, to the realities of parenting a baby born prematurely. These brave mom and dads have the courage to speak up and share their laughter, tears, and triumphs so that no one else has to feel alone in their experience. We hope you will join this important conversation. Whether you are a parent or considering becoming one, subscribe to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts and learn more by visiting unspokenstories.org. That's unspokenstories.org. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. All right. Today's episode features Uriah Boyd. She and her partner met in Mexico just weeks before they found out they were expecting. At 32 weeks, she moved to Israel to join him as he finished his third year of medical school and also to prepare for the birth of their baby. While the where and when of her birthing experience was unexpected, birthing her baby in a calm environment came close to what she imagined. So hello, Uriah. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's good to be here. Yes, y'all, we are so excited to dive into this story today um, and share all of this goodness. Um, so we always start off by telling, well, having our, our, our guests share a little bit about their self, themselves and their family. So can you do that for us? Yeah, um, my name's Uriah Boyd. I'm 24. I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Um, I love to travel and I dance professionally. I make music and perform sometimes. I love taking naps and writing and spending time alone. Um, and my partner, Nate, is 26. He's a medical student and he grew up um, between the southern U.S. and Venezuela, moving back and forth a little bit. Okay. And we have an eight-month-old daughter. Yay! <laughs> I also resonate with loving to take naps. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an important part of my personality. I was like, in writing my notes, I'm like, this is important. This is <laughs> right. That sounds like some some um, characteristics of an introvert there. That uh, mm-hmm. wanting the nap and enjoying time to self. <laughs> yeah. And the recharge. Okay. So Uriah, tell us a little bit about your pregnancy with this little eight-month-old. Yeah, so um, I I met my partner in Mexico and um, in the state of Oaxaca. And just a little over a month after we met, I found out I was pregnant. Um, my period is like clockwork. So when it was really, it was one day late, I was like, oh, no, something's up. But I waited till five days and took a test. And um, even though it was a huge surprise, I also kind of was like, yeah, all right, the timing's right. 
I was I was sort of open to getting pregnant that year anyway. I just wasn't expecting it to be with this very new person. <laughs> um, and yes, I was really like surprised and delighted when he wanted to go along with it too. Because frankly, when I found out, I was like, all right, maybe I'm going to go back home and raise this baby with my friends and family. You know, I wasn't even mm-hmm. thinking of a man in the picture, but that was cool too. So I was like, all right, we'll go with it. Um, and then the nausea hit like a week later, around like five or six weeks. And that was really rough because we were driving through the mountains of Oaxaca and lots of swerving and pulling over to puke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then got to the coast and it was really hot and humid and I just wanted to enjoy the beach, but I was so queasy. So I was in bed most of the time. It was a rough couple of weeks. Um, and then I went back home to Portland at seven weeks and the nausea got way better. Um, but still, you know, like certain smells would make me queasy, but I wasn't puking every day, which was an upgrade for real. Um, yeah. And then I just kind of, I got back and jumped right back into my usual routine because I kind of figured me and Nate had discussed me coming to Israel with him later. So he didn't have to take more time off school, which would kind of, you know, mess up his financial aid and all that. Um, so I just jumped right back into work because I was like, all right, I need to scrape up some money so I can go fly away. Yeah. Um, and I was working in my friend's restaurant and babysitting and I kept taking dance classes and performing dance, performing music, um, really just kept living my life with a little extra nausea and like mental preparation. Um, and then he, Nate came to Portland when I was around 12 weeks and stayed for a couple months, which was cool. We like did the anatomy scan and all that together. Um, It was just a really smooth, rather uneventful pregnancy. Like aside from the move overseas, it was really, really mellow. I didn't feel uncomfortable even until like 30-ish weeks when I started to be like, oh, well, I can't breathe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But their lungs get so squished in there. Um. Yeah. And then at like 32 weeks, I flew over to Israel. And um, by then, that's when like the Braxton Hicks had started to rev up a little more. Um, They didn't hurt, but they were just really like stiff, you know, that like crunch down feeling. And my back was kind of achy. So I, I took like all the precautions I could think of before the flight. I had compression socks. I had a neck pillow. I had a whole bunch of water. I got an aisle seat so I could just, you know, dodge at a moment's notice if I needed to. And I was walking a lot and stretching a lot. It was like a a 10 hour flight at first and then a four hour flight. Okay. Um, And I'd never been on a flight that long. So I was just preparing as well as I could. Um, Oh, yeah. And one other thing that was unexpected, because I'm so used to being independent, um, was like right toward the end before I left for Israel, I was feeling so emotionally unsettled at Mm -hmm. the distance between us. Like, Mm -hmm. I just felt so uncomfortable with it and needy, which is so different for me. And I... I hated it. Part of me was like, oh, who is this? Like, I don't even know who I am. Or, <laughs> you know, it felt very um, animal and biological, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so I was really excited to leave. And even though I was going so far away from all my friends and family who I'm really close with, um, I, I also felt like I was going home, you know, and going yeah. to this new place where I'd never been. So I was really happy to get there. Um, I worked right up until I flew out and that, you know, it was, it was tough toward the end there, but it needed to happen. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, a big part of your, your pregnancy, um, like listening to that, to that is the traveling. Like how, I know like you, for the long flight, you definitely said, you know, the prep that you did for that, but like, how was that and navigating that, um, while being pregnant, having to travel, and then also thinking about like the prep work of having a care provider in one place, and then now you have to find a care provider in another country. Like how, right. how did that work out? So the flight itself, it all, went, it all went pretty well, but looking back on it, I wish I had asked for more help. Because when I got there, even though I was really happy and, like, relieved to be there, my body was, like, like, I felt like pregnancy came and, like, slapped me with everything that had built up, you know? Yeah. Um, So I think it's really important to ask for help and let people help even before you need it. I have a tendency to be like, oh, I don't need it yet. You know, like, I'll wait. But then when you wait till you need it, you're, like, already so tired, you know? Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. it's important to be humble and let people help you ask for help even before it's a true need but just like oh this would help me a little bit you know like this would make Mm -hmm. something a little easier um and yeah i in in portland i was being seen by a midwife and um or like a, a group of midwives and i only i only went to the doctor like three times i think like whatever the i had did like the dating one the dating appointment the anatomy scan and the gestational diabetes um, screening. And I think that was it. So I didn't see them much in the beginning. That was kind of um, unsettling. You know, I, I wanted the security of like being my baby, hearing it often. Yeah. But in the end, I think it was good to not have that. You know, considering I didn't need it, it'd be different if there was something I needed to monitor. Um, and so once I got there, I sort of frankly I lollygagged I didn't see anyone till I was like I got there at 32 weeks I didn't see anyone maybe till like 33 or 34 um and it was a little tricky finding an obstetrician um that spoke English Mm. um because you know it's a it's a Hebrew speaking country and most English well but I noticed that Israelis have a tendency to um, under understate their proficiency in English. So, like, I'll be like, hey, do you speak English? And mm. sometimes they know, even though they speak the basic English, conversational, I think they're just afraid of saying yes and then getting in too deep, you know? Yeah, yeah. But really, they underestimate themselves because their English was always way better than my Hebrew. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, finally found an obstetrician and... I just had one appointment before she was born and it was just cool to see her when I got there, have an eight fear. Um, and yeah, it wasn't, you know, the, there wasn't much um, connection. I didn't feel the same connect that I did with my midwives back in Portland, but I also wasn't expecting to. Yeah. So that was that. It would have been cool to have, um, to have that same sort of emotional connection or investment, but it was fine. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I was also thinking about um, switching gears. You are a professional dancer. And so I was wondering, like, in your, in your pregnancy, how did that um, show up? Or was that something? Um, yeah. How did that show up for you, that part of your, yourself? Right. Like, is that yeah. part of your preparation? Or... Right. It, it didn't really affect it much. Um, I think I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even like in great shape or anything like that, but I'm just active often enough that, um, that it wasn't anything to keep it going, you know, like back mm-hmm. home, I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to keep taking the dance class, take performing when I perform. Um, and obviously, you know, I couldn't, once, once my bump got a little bigger, I couldn't do ab workouts in class. Or right. to, like, <laughs> things. Um, and then really toward the end, I had a, I had a performance right around 31, 32 weeks, like a few days before I left the country. And that one was, that was like the first time that I really felt, wow, I am carrying a human inside me (laughs) and my body feels different. You know, like it felt heavier and I had a couple of like what I call lightning bolts in my pelvis, you know, um, while I was dancing and yeah, it, it was pretty surreal that last performance. Um, but otherwise it didn't affect it much. You know, I kept biking, walking, dancing. And it just sort of, I don't know, my body just went with the flow. It was really, I felt really fortunate in that regard. I mean, that's what you hope, uh, you know, you want, you, I shouldn't say that's what you hope. I mean, I I think it's really, no, it is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important that we listen to our bodies. And I think that people um, sometimes will be like, oh, I'm pregnant, so I can't do these things. And it's like, well, try them out, you know, continue to, to do what you do and listen to your body until it tells you like, oh, that was too much or, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that feels good. Um, instead of it being something that like you limit, um, it's something that you, you keep a part of your routine until it is, until there's something else that makes it feel different. Um, exactly. And that's what my midwife said to going through it. They're pretty much like, as long as, you know, it's important to both listen to your body and your healthcare provider. But they were telling me as long as like you were doing it before you're pregnant and you still feel good doing it, keep doing it. Right. Right. I think that but I'm sure trying a new thing when pregnant is probably not the best idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. I think a lot of women come into that um, actually learning how to listen to their body when they actually have a pregnancy because it's mm-hmm. something that everything is new and you're like, Hey, that was different. I'm usually like this when I do that. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that after you've had a pregnancy, um, and that's even if, you know, even if you had a miscarriage or, you know, a stillborn, like mom's still like that feeling in your body and those different sensations become a new part of you. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That is very true. Like there's like, there, there's, I feel like there's so much I learned about my body because mm-hmm. I was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and even as someone who I feel like I was already pretty well in touch with my body, I, there were still so many new things all the time, yeah. new messages yeah. and had to figure out, you know, separate my head being like, ah, this is new. It's scary. Am I, am I hurt? Am I in trouble? With just like 
taking a deep breath and really checking in with my body, you know, like it's yeah. hard to separate worry from the gut worry. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. So true. Um, so, I mean, you went into, we kind of talked about like how you prepared for your birth, but um, thinking about, especially because you were going to a new country, um, how did your expectations of what your birth was going to look like? Like, how did you prepare for that? Um, Hmm. It was, I mean, I guess physically I prepared just by staying active. Um, And emotionally I was doing through my whole pregnancy, doing a lot of writing, a lot of crying, a lot of singing. Um, I, I, I had to have like a literal funeral for my solo self because like I said, mm. I love alone time and I really yeah. value my individuality. And I was, while really excited to have a baby, I was really nervous about um, what that would mean for me as an individual, you know, yep. not seeing my individual self for a long time. Um, and that was really tough, like tougher than I thought it would be, honestly. Um, just preparing for it even. In reality, by the time she came, it wasn't that tough. And maybe it's because I had had this ceremony with myself, you know? Yeah. Um, and it felt really, really important. I'm lucky to have a lot of people around me who helped me prepare for that too. Um, I listened to, I asked every single mother I knew about every single child they had. And I just wanted to hear all the stories. I really, um, I don't know, I guess I I like to base a lot of things on anecdotal evidence. So I just wanted to hear all the stories, the good, the scary, the bad, the dangerous, you know, like every single one of them. And I was listening to to this podcast called The Birth Hour a lot. And there was a lot of varied experiences there. I discovered this one not until after my daughter was born. I wish I had found it sooner, (laughs) but, um, but, you know, I still listen to it and I, I find it helpful even still. So really, I was just doing a lot of like story gathering. Um, And as for what it would mean to deliver a baby in another country, I, I kind of didn't even factor in that part just because it was so unknown. You know, Nate had a few um, friends there. So once I did arrive, I asked around a little bit, but um, I kind of, you know, it was, it was much more important to me, the, the personal logistics of having a baby than like Mm. the, the surrounding logistics. Does that make sense? You know? Yes. Very much so. Yep. Um, I think that, I I also prepared myself for like a really tough time uh, as far as like mental health postpartum. I was worried about postpartum depression um, because I just don't do well in the winter anyway. My daughter was due um, December 18th. And even though we were in Israel, so it wasn't like a, a Pacific Northwest winter, it was still winter and I was really mm-hmm. far from my friends and family. So I had prepared myself really I was like, it's going to be tough. I, that was all I ever told myself was like, there's going to be a lot of love, but it's going to be really tough and isolating and you'll make it. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think all of those things really, really served, served me well. It sounds like it. When I hear you talk about um, just your process and the things that 
were at the top of your list, it makes me think of this, the simple statement of that, that birth is a normal physiological process. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't, almost like you didn't overthink it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going, I'm pregnant. I'm going to give birth. Like, this is, this is what we do. Like yep. women have been doing mm-hmm. this yep. for, for since the beginning of time, literally. So here yes. we are. Uh, and I'm just going to take care of myself mentally because um, I'm doing a whole new thing. Like you have a new partner. You guys have gone into um, a partnership of raising a child together, going into a new country, all these new things. And it's like you really took care of yourself mentally and prepared yourself for like the best or the worst, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I know the... Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead, Danielle. It's not something that... Um, a lot of women of color, black women, um, just have an opportunity to really pause on. Yeah. You know, just your mental mm-hmm. health. Like that's that was like the top thing. And I, I applaud you for that. Absolutely. And I think the piece that like hit me in my core is the 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 when you said that like you had a ceremony for your for yourself, for the mm-hmm. self that you were losing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is so so powerful that you were able to recognize that and do that. Um, because while we, you know, we are taking pieces of ourselves before having children, there is, you do lose, you do lose parts of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like many of us, if not most, um, and again, especially women of color, we don't think about that. We don't even like process that until after we've had our, our children and then that's when like everything starts to hit the fan and you're like, but I used right. to be able to do this or do this and do this. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, that's not what this is about. Like you're a new person. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so applaud you for being able to do that as well. Like, that is, that's, <laughs> that's huge. That is, that is really huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, all right. Tell us about your birth. Yeah, so I probably around, well, actually, no, pretty immediately after I got to Israel, like I said, the pregnancy kind of like, woo, like hit me in the face, at least relatively compared to how smooth and easy it was before. Um, I just like had achy back more often and um, was getting Braxton Hicks really regularly. And um, I started to get um, those lightning bolts in my pelvis while I was walking. Um, first, like every, every few days, then every other day. And then it was like every day, if I was walking more than half a mile, I would get them and sometimes need to sit down and like catch my breath for a little bit. So I was, I was starting to be like, all right, it's, it's going to be soon, most likely going to be before my due date. Um, and I was also getting, I was starting to get really thick discharge and I kept wondering, like, is this my mucus plug? It's not you know, some people, it just comes out in a chunk. And I know that some people, it oozes out slowly. So I just wasn't sure. And I was like, all right, something, something's up. Probably have a couple more weeks. Um, and then I woke up one morning after a night of poor sleep and just um, my back was kind of hurting. And I just felt like vaguely sad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just kind of felt. Um, and then in the afternoon around two, my contractions started and they were really, really mellow, um, like really mild, but regular. They were every like five, six, seven minutes apart, but just so mild. I honestly didn't think 
I knew something was up. I thought I still had like a week, you know, it, it didn't feel, they weren't even up to like menstrual cramp level of discomfort, mm-hmm. but they were regular. Um, and I was timing them for a while. And then after an hour, I was like, all right, well, they're, they're still regular. I'm going to stop thinking about it and go about my day. So I went for a walk and called my mom and she was like, you should take a nap. You should try to get some rest. Um, and so I did that around five, which was a few hours after the contractions had started and I couldn't fall asleep all the way. I was like laying in bed, but not really getting sleep. And that's when I knew something was up. Um, so then I got up, moved around some more. And then at like 10 PM, my water broke. And that's when the contractions revved up more and they weren't like menstrual cramp anymore. They were definitely getting a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I sort of started to like, all right, you know, I told Nate, he was home with me the whole day, but I was trying to like, you know, play it cool. <laughs> I, I told him everything as it went on, but because I was so unsure too, I was just kind of like, something's up, but I think we're good. I think we have time. Um, and this was still a little preterm. It was um, 35 weeks and like six days. So she was just shy of full term. Um and I really, if, if, if she had been full term, I probably would have tried to go for an unassisted home birth just because I didn't get a very good impression of the hospital that I went to. Um, but, you know, because she was preterm, I was not going to risk that. Um, yeah. So we, we packed up our stuff, went to the hospital, got there around midnight, and I was only one centimeter dilated. And I just was like, what the fuck, man? Like, this is not okay. <laughs> this is not fair. Um, you know, and they weren't even, like, so bad yet, but I was definitely really, you know, I had a um, a yoga ball. I was leaning against. I was really breathing through them. So they weren't, like, they weren't excruciating yet, but it was it was definitely, like, I, I was certain I was going to be at least, like, four, you know, something. Yeah. So you talk- one centimeter and I felt kind of discouraged and because it was um because she was preterm they had to put that band on my stomach to monitor her heart rate Mm -hmm. um which was annoying because it restricted my mobility and you know I'm like to be active I had my ball and everything and I was like determined I was you know I wanted to stretch and like dance around and just move through labor yeah and couldn't and that was frustrating um but actually time went by so quickly um I got there around midnight and then probably I was breathing through them well chilling watching tv um although really tired you know because I I didn't get my nap which (laughs) I was really salty about um and I was just so exhausted even though I was like handling it pretty well until transition hit and there was I don't know how how much time passed, but there had to have been like 10 to 15 contractions that first they were back to back, you know, and that, that little 10, 30, whatever amount of seconds you get in between contractions really helps really Mm -hmm. like lets you regather yourself. But once that was gone, I was like, Oh man, like I felt, I, I could feel myself unraveling and Nate was like, use your breath, right? Use your breath. And I was just like, I didn't want to hear it. I was bearing down. I started to get that like overlapping contractions and then I had that feeling like I needed to poop, like mm-hmm. I was holding in a poop 
And I remember being like, I was just so tired. And I was like clinging to the side of the hospital bed, bearing down, even though Nate was telling me to breathe. And I was like, Nate, I just want to poop. (laughs) 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 I'm so tired, man. And I should have remembered from all the stories I'd heard that that (laughs) feeling means you're right there, that you're ready, Mm -hmm. you know. But in my head, I was like, I just want to poop and I'm so tired and how much longer do I have to do this? (laughs) And so the nurse came in and I was like, I think I want the epidural. And she checked me and she was like, you're fully dilated. So (laughs) I just wanted to, I looked at Nate and I just had this huge grin. I was so happy. Yeah. And, you know, I, it was hard not to get my ego wrapped in it, but I really did not want to um, have an epidural. I really wanted to have a drug-free birth and just try going for it, you know, without any sort of pain reliever. And I'm really glad that I was able to have that because pushing was incredible. Like after, after that, that transition period, those back-to-back overlapping contractions, pushing felt so good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I pushed for maybe like 30, 40 minutes and there she was. Ah, oh. yes. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was amazing. And the, despite the impression that I got of the hospital, the care was so good. I, I was really surprised because, um, even the first doctor who checked me, who told me I was one centimeter, he was being a turd. I was like, he's like, oh, well, you know, you're only one centimeter and she's 35 weeks, you know, that's not full term, like just making me feel like things weren't going to go well, you know, Mm -hmm. which I I understand was just his worry, him like projecting it. But um, luckily he wasn't the doctor that stuck with me anyway. And all the nurses and doctors that I had after that were really great. Um, And Nate being a medical student had actually shadowed the doctor who was my obstetrician before. So they knew each other, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so he was a medical student at the same hospital, um, and that felt really good. I don't know if it's because they knew each other or just because she's a great doctor, but she was so um, trusting and calm the whole time, despite, like, it bring, being preterm, and I don't know. She just made me feel so good. She was yeah. like, you've got this. Like, you're, you're ready to push now, and I was like, how do I push? I forgot, and she's like, just listen to your body. Try it out, Yeah, you know, and she really just like sat back until it until the head started coming out she didn't even touch me she wasn't even there you know yeah which felt really to be trusted like that it helped me trust myself right right yeah so i i, I want to give that hospital soroka hospital in Bersheva. shout out <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> but it is so important that we we that care providers are aware of the energy that they bring into a space. Like you may yeah. have your concerns, you may have, you know, you're, you, you are thinking about the health and safety of the people that you're taking care of, but like it shows up if you're not able to manage that well. And that's not mm-hmm. fair to the, the people that you're taking care of. Because like you said, when you had the doctor who was able to, allow you to trust yourself it made a difference like oh yeah and who knows what she might have been thinking in her head but that's not your problem like you should feel Mm -hmm. like you know you're following what you know you can do yeah yeah and it just felt so um in Israel normally 
midwives deliver all the babies unless there is some sort of issue or unless the baby's preterm. There's not normally even a doctor. Mm-hmm. And the nurses were great too. The midwife, midwife nurses, they were great. But the doctor's really the one who like, man, she just, she, she was amazing. They were all amazing, but she made me yeah. feel so good. And then afterwards she was like, I'm so proud of you. And I just wanted to cry. I was like, I don't even know you, but thank you. Like, I needed to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so important. Um, I'm thinking about uh, the the part you were talking about. Like, I should have remembered from all the stories I heard about the, the um, transition piece. And it's mm-hmm. like, in that moment, nope. <laughs> <laughs> everything goes out the window Uh (laughs) and plus you don't know the true magnitude of it until you feel it yourself and you're like no really i just need to i just need to poop that's it (laughs) Mm -hmm. get me to the toilet and then we can finish this right (laughs) y'all are hearing me i said i need to poop (laughs) like oh (laughs) yeah Man. Uh, I don't understand this feeling in my butt right now. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what a sensation! It makes me wonder how how long I had been fully dilated for because I was holding in that poop feeling for like several contractions. I felt like like I may have been ready ten twenty minutes before the nurse even came in. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um. And so since your, your daughter was preterm, how did that look like as far as um, care afterwards? Was she, like, was she like fine, able to stay with you? How did that all? Um... Yeah, so she was, um, well, she was born three kilos, which is like six pounds, 10 ounces or something, which is hilarious that she was a month early and <laughs> still <laughs> weighed that much. Um, and she, she was in the NICU for a couple nights, for two nights. Okay. And those were both really hard emotional nights for me because I, um, well, the, they put you in like, you know, there's a delivery room and then whatever the room after that is, is where you like you stay. Mm-hmm. And normally they, they want all women to stay for two nights after they give birth. And I was not having that. They had me in this single bed, sharing a room with a curtain and I need my sleep. So I was like, I'm going home. Like, I'll sign whatever you need me to sign, but I'm going home. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to leave my baby. That was, you know, I cried both nights leaving the hospital. I spent all day with her, but both times leaving, I just cried, cried so much. Um, but I also knew that I needed to do it because I wasn't going to sleep well in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate wasn't allowed to stay with me either. So I was going to be alone, oh. not sleeping well. You know, so I was like, I'd rather oh. be home with Nate in my bed and missing my baby than be down the hall from her. Um, but yeah, even in the NICU, it was, it was really easy. The first day, like for a couple, a few hours, they had her um, in like an oxygen dome sort of because mm-hmm. um, her lungs were a little premature and then they didn't need that. She was born at like 4 a.m. And I think by like 2 p.m. they didn't need it anymore. So they just had her. Okay and they were just waiting for um for like bacteria cultures to make sure that her premature birth wasn't due to an infection yeah so part of me wanted to just yank her out of there because i was like i know she's fine like i don't need to wait for your <laughs> like you know just to be safe yeah let y'all <laughs> right protocol you know, you you need to do. Protocol. <laughs> mm-hmm. but i yeah, know my but baby those... is good 
Exactly. Yeah, she was so just immediately alert and felt so human, you know, still looked pretty alien, no lie, but she <laughs> she just felt so alive already. And I, yeah, it was really hard leaving her, but once I brought her home, whew, so much better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And to those, those couple of nights and days when she was in the NICU, um, we didn't live far from the hospital. So I, I took a cab home, Nate and I, um, we didn't have a car. So we took a cab home from the hospital the first night. And then the next day I was like, I want to walk over there. It was only like a 10 minute walk. Um, and so I did. And then I walked back and a lot of walking back and forth from the hospital. And I think that there was still the high of giving birth and all the adrenaline of like, but my baby's not home yet. You know, mm-hmm. that I was really thinking about my body. And then when I brought her home, everything in my body was like, you need to sit down. And so I just lay down for like two days after that. Me and her didn't move much. You know, there was like a vague soreness in my vulva the first two days. And then after I brought her home, I was like, oh, okay, this is what, (laughs) this is what it's like. I see now. Um, Yeah, I, I had tore a little bit, but not, they didn't stitch it. It wasn't like a severe enough tear to stitch it up. Which at first, you know, I looked at it and I was like, I think you guys need to stitch that. And the doctor was like, it'll actually heal better if we don't stitch it. And I sort of was, you know, rolling my eyes like, all right, you don't know what you're talking about. But they were right. And it healed up really quick. And, you know, it's not stiff or didn't hurt anymore after a few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I, those those couple of days after I brought her home were an important rest time. Yeah. <laughs> a very humbling time of just like being doted upon you know yep um yeah what else well and I was I was gonna say um thinking about like you find with many people you are on you're you're still on an emotional high like after you've had Mm -hmm. like and so you do you do have this mindset of like I'm good I can get up I can Mm. uh (laughs) let's do all these things and it's like Mm -hmm. no that you actually need to rest like the the amount of work that you've put your body through not only for the amount of time of like carrying baby but the actual work of the birth um allowing yourself to recover um from that both physically and emotionally and like I know I'm always telling clients the next day after birth like here are the things I want you to remember you have a paper paper plate sized hole in your body right now and you birthed a human go sit down (laughs) sit down so anytime Mm -hmm. you feel that adrenaline rush think about that paper plate size toll and you had a whole human (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's hard to remember it's harder than you would think because everything in you just wants to be like super not super mom even but like i don't know yeah that high it can fool you. It can really fool you and like drown out all the sounds that your body's trying to send. <laughs> right. And we don't live in a, we do not live in a culture where we are reminding families to do that. Like we live in a culture where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, you did get up and go do your walk. Yes, girl. Yeah. Do uh-huh. that. Goals where it exactly. should be like, Oh, you laid in bed for a whole week and a half. Yes. Goals. Take pictures. of Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm still <laughs> <in> here. Exactly. <laughs> Hashtag, please. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like that 
that's the that's what we should be celebrating rooming um, in exactly yes <laughs> um so no we we don't live in a space right now where we're we're encouraging that type of rest um yeah so and that, that bounce back culture is really yes. pervasive and poisonous it's it's so hard to not think about it mm-hmm. i was just thinking about um as you talk about like that immediate postpartum of course that was at the hospital but how were things once you guys got home and how did you get into that rhythm with each other yeah yeah it was um i was surprising i was surprised at how smooth the transition was she slept so much um for the first couple weeks she slept like 20 hours a day and she would pretty much sleep wake up and eat um look around for a little bit and then fall back to sleep you know and it was i actually was like man i want to like play with her more i want to see her <laughs> i it would make me want to like wake her up because i missed her she would just sleep yeah. all the time <laughs> um which was great because you know i i definitely needed to get my rest too um and it honestly it pretty much stayed like that i thought i kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and she's always been a she's always been a really thorough sleeper um but as for myself like emotionally there i was really homesick uh, after the high wore off you know the couple days high yeah um really homesick for like a week or two and you know I I had like videos on my phone of my family and I would just like watch them and just cry you know not like sob but just be like oh I miss them you know yeah Uh, to my mom a lot talk to all of my siblings a lot um all my friends and stuff and and then it wore off which I was really relieved because for a minute there I was like I don't know my plan was to stay until April um, he finished the school year in June, but I was going to stay until around spring. And so, you know, this is now November. She was born a month before the due date. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I can even make it to the new year. Like, if this keeps up, I'm going home. Um, yeah. So I was happy that it did wear off because it was also really important to me that we exist as a family for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it wore off, but then was still replaced by like intermittent um bouts of loneliness I would call them you know I'd have like a day where I just really missed home and really was like yeah I'm like choking up thinking about it where I just really was like I I want you know Nate's really supportive and it's great to have him around but I I miss my friends and I miss having community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not having that some days was really tough yeah. um and I, I spent a lot of time on social media, you know, just like stalking my friends and stuff. And yeah. it, was, it was fine. It didn't feel, I knew it wasn't like the most healthy thing to be doing. I kept being like, oh, I should just go out and make friends. But it also felt right. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I'm not going to push myself to go out in the world with my three week old baby and try to make some friends when I know I'm only going to be here for a few months, you know? Yeah. So, so I was just like, all right, I'll talk to my people when I do and I'll, you know, find, find little moments for myself, just try to, try to carve out some space, which, um, around six weeks, I finally did start doing, um, when she wasn't sleeping 20 hours a day, (laughs) um, she still would sleep like 16, 18 hours. She slept a lot. She even still sleeps quite a bit. Um, 
which is how I know that's my baby. Right. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, around six weeks, I, um, I started dancing again. I took some dance. I started taking a dance class there that I really liked and found this open mic that I would go and share at sometimes. And so I really did start to like get a little bit of community. I still didn't have any close friends, but just having that little bit of like belonging and place yeah. where I was really helped my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I just felt like content after that. Never quite like, wow, I love it here. I'm thriving. This is amazing. But like, this is, it feels good to be here right now. I'm chilling. Yeah. I'm happy, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my family came and visited um, when she was almost two months old and they came okay. for two weeks. Yeah, my mom, my sister, my aunt, and my brother. So that was amazing to just have, like, huge swarm of family love cloud, you know? Yes. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. After that, from then until I went home in April, I was I was chilling. It was exactly what I needed to, like, charge me up all the way. Nice. Mm-hmm. Was that expected? Were they? Pl- did you know they were going to come? I did, yeah. And initially, I thought you know they planned it so that they would be coming when she was about a month old but since she came a month before the due date right. she was two months right. old and so it did feel I felt like oh, I have to wait a whole nother month now yeah. you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but Nate's mom came when she was about a month maybe a few weeks old okay. she came for like a week and a half and that was really cool I had, I had met her once before that like I came and visited their family Um, and you know, it wasn't, she wasn't my mom, but it was still nice to have maternal energy around, you know? Yes. Someone who knows what needs to be done. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And someone to learn from someone to like, watch, watch how they do things, you know, learn, learn different ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. And Nate was really, um, really attentive he he could only take about a week off school when she was born and then went right back into it but every day when he came home he'd just grab her right out of my hands and you know like it was it was really cool that he was still able to be so um attentive in it you know I didn't feel like I was doing it alone yeah and I think like thinking about um you speaking on needing your village um I think for, for many families, like, you know, we have not reached, reached the point yet in society where we value also paternity leave. Um, Mm -hmm. and that can really add to those feelings of loneliness, um, and lack of community when, you know, our partners have to go back to work so early. Um, because then it is, you know, you with the baby, um, by yourself a lot. Um, yeah. or, or having to navigate like, well, when do you have to go back or navigating when their energy level, like when they come home from work. So it's just a lot when we, right. when we aren't allowing partners to have the bonding time that they need and deserve as well. Yeah. 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 And it's, I feel really fortunate that, um, we were, able to be in sync that way. I mean, we definitely had a couple days or weeks at a time where we were out of sync and just kind of like short with each other, but very much like, all right, we both are just giving whatever we have to like our own things going on. You know, he has like school and all that. And I have just the whole 
emotional. I'm a mother now. Yeah. It felt like we were both very focused on ourselves as individuals and our baby, but didn't have much time for our relationship, mm-hmm. you know, which um, wasn't a surprise. I knew that's how, how it goes sometimes. Um, but we, we were able to talk it through when it did get to like that and be like, Hey, we haven't like checked in in a minute. Let's, let's do that. You know? Yeah. And it really helped even just to acknowledge like, yeah, things are kind of weird right now. We're out of sync a little bit. That's okay. We'll find our way back. And it always like without fail within a few days, we were back in sync just even by acknowledging it, you know, not that yeah. it's always that simple, but it's, it's so important to just, even if you don't know what to do about it, just to point out the off the out of syncness yep 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 acknowledging Acknowledging and communicating like something is off i don't know player can you help me can i help you (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. what do you need what do i need and can we help each other if not i'll see you in a sec (laughs) right (laughs) for sure for sure um and we had talked a little bit um, before going into the interview, but thinking about um, like our conversation in, in your postpartum period, um, you know, we had talked a little bit about like intimacy and sex after birth. Um, mm-hmm. So do you want to touch on that a little bit? How, how that, cause we, I mean, we, I feel like we haven't really like divulged much into that in many of our episodes, but like that is also a really big piece of postpartum um, with partners or when you, when you have um, a partner, or if you don't have a partner, like re-entering that yeah. part of your life after having children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we um, pretty much right after I had Maju, my sex drive was back like in, in full swing. Like I was, mm-hmm. I remember laying in bed shortly after we brought her home and just Googling like um, non-penetrative intimacy, non-penetrative masturbation. Like basically Mm -hmm. like, can I do this? Am I allowed to? Like if if my, if my vulva feels okay, can I? Mm -hmm. And, you know, took a, went into it really slowly, but basically just started on my own, like feeling myself again, you know? Yeah. And looking at it, I often, maybe not every day, but pretty often would just hold a mirror up and be like, all right, this is what my vulva looks right now. Like this is where that little tear was. And this little part looks a little different than it did before. And I'm going to learn to love that, you know, like just just getting over the the small little things Mm -hmm. Um, and finding, finding how, how things had moved around. Cause they definitely had, which I also wasn't expecting like um, where, where I like to touch and where, you know, just what things, feel what way and how mm-hmm. the whole mind my vulva connection just getting re-familiar with that and I was doing it alone for a while because I just wanted to um yeah to have that alone the, like to be in total control of of everything mm-hmm. um and you know we were so intimate by just like snuggling and stuff which is really important to me um and then finally when I was ready to let him in on it then we just started really slow it kind of felt like um felt like being a teenager you know like like just hands for a while and then maybe some occasional mouth here and there you yeah. know yeah um and even though my my libido was like revved up pretty high actually like higher than it had been since before I got pregnant it was it was still steady through pregnancy but just kind of like 
mid-level, but it was high after birth, and that surprised me. Um, but, yeah, despite that, despite my libido being pretty high, when the six-week point hit, I still wasn't ready to try penetrative sex. Even though I got the go-ahead from my doctor, I was mm-hmm. just like, that feels scary and not, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And And he was really receptive to that. I never once felt pressured and I was really um just really open in talking to him about the whole journey you know I'd be like yeah I touched myself today and this is how it felt and that was weird and you know just giving him updates as often as I could and and when we were intimate during you know being like oh actually touch here or do this you know mm-hmm. um and I just felt so he was so patient and I felt so supported and never like um I don't know, never tolerated. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. feel yeah. like, like yeah. he's just like, oh, all right, I'm just waiting till, for the good stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, absolutely. It felt, yeah. It was all like a, a journey that we were both on together and it didn't feel like anyone was rushing, rushing anywhere. We were just sort of like wandering through, seeing what things are like, exploring, getting to know each other. And then I think finally around like nine ish weeks, we we slowly started again mm-hmm. but it, it took quite a while even after that to feel um normal again and mm-hmm. like um you know when you're nursing not I guess not for everyone but I think a lot of people when you nurse it makes you less lubricated mm-hmm. and so that was a new feeling because I was so used to just being wet when I wanted to be you know what I mean right. like yeah. um that was new and getting you know trying to make lube feel sexy and like, all right, going to go grab the coconut oil. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. just, just new, new yeah. things. It all felt very vulnerable and, and fun and like silly. Like we could both laugh, laugh at ourselves a little bit, which I think was also important. So this, it'd be clumsy <laughs> and we had to stop sometimes. And that's, yeah. you know, and that was part of the journey. Yeah, And it felt good to know that we could do that. And there was no like angst, you know, some like ah, blue balls or like, you know what I mean? Some yeah. like, I don't know. It, it just felt really supportive. It's so like, I mean, you know, we talked about how much your body changes. And um, I think we do forget that so does your vulva. So like all of those things are now changed because of your pregnancy and because you had a baby. And so things are going to feel different. Um, things yeah. have shifted. And I really think it's great that you did that exploration on your own first and then incorporated your partner. Like mm-hmm. that's totally like something to me. I'm like, Dang, if I ever have children again? <laughs> like, <laughs> y'all just gave me a face because I've been saying I am done. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like that to that me, makes sense. that yeah. makes so much sense. Like, because so much, like it, it does change. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Like we just go to our six week checkup and it's like, okay, you're cleared to have sex and it's like, but wait. Right. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. And are I you sure? That the conversation. <laughs> yeah. You and your partner becomes more, are you ready? Are you not? And that's kind of it. 
Like, yeah. you don't really mm-hmm. go into the, why aren't you ready? Or, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of, and they respect that because they don't know what it feels like. So they're just like, all right, let me know when you're ready. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really goes into Right, because who are you to be like, it's time? <laughs> right. But is it time, bruh? It- <laughs> you're the culprit anyway, right? Right. Um, it's so true. And then I think that's where you too start to think about like, oh, I don't even know. Like I haven't even beyond like spraying myself with the bottle and changing out bloody pads. Like I haven't even right. really given any attention to that. And and, yeah. and doing it as something that can be used for pleasure for myself or with my partner. Um, mm-hmm. God, that's so so key i love that i absolutely love that um mm. that that was something that you really took the initiative for and i think definitely helps guide um into be, into getting back into intimacy easier um yeah for sure definitely all right you gave him so much mm-hmm. information you know that he didn't even have to ask for really just kind of you you walked him through it as you're walking yourself through it and that was that was right that's key yeah it can it can definitely be um awkward and hard to just talk openly and frankly about it but it's something i i I had been practicing for a while anyway Mm -hmm. and felt more important then than ever so right yeah so speak up because i i definitely have heard from some people who have a really tough time getting back into it and it just breaks my heart because they don't talk to themselves about it first and like try to really figure out what they want and need and communicate that before they just jump right in. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about like the conversation at the six week checkup, like no one tells you that if you're nursing, you're going to be dry. Like, (laughs) that was not in the checkup. You literally gave me an exam and said, boom, bam. Yes, you ready? Yeah. Like, well, (laughs) yeah. There's no, (laughs) right. (laughs) There's no conversation about like how hormones are going to shift things, how nursing might shift things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's like, who do you go to to have those conversations? Um, right. Then you're on Google, like, but am I okay? Like, <laughs> we come um, to the other women, and women have to be open to talk about this mm-hmm. stuff with each other mm-hmm. because we're the ones who do know. Yeah. And when women do the like, like when people have baby showers and they're like, give the mom advice. Like, I have literally gone to a baby shower and given coconut oil and put on it like all the things. Okay. <laughs> Put it on your nipples, put it on your, on your vagina, oh, put it on your back of your legs, put the whole body. <laughs> like, I've literally given that as a gift. Like, it's a jar mm-hmm. of organic coconut oil. You will thank mm-hmm. me later. Like, <laughs> yeah. Separate your little jars into what goes right. to which area of the room and which yes. you do, but there you go. Here's your jar. Like, all the things. <laughs> Your mama might not tell you. Your best friend might not tell you. I am here for you. I am here for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Oh, yes. Let's have these conversations. Let's, Let's make these 
are our gatherings more informative? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's what we should be doing. Like, yes, celebrating for sure, but like, definitely giving out the information. And I mean, I mean, that's part of the point of this podcast is being able to share stuff that we are not regularly talking about when we're having these conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Right about the things that I actually need to know, okay? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or that, you know, in that six weeks, that that time frame is when a lot of women have a heightened libido and and you're primed to have more babies, right? (laughs) Oof. Oof. Uh. Speak it. Talk about it. (laughs) Where did Irish twins come from? (laughs) Tell them. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. All of that. Yeah. Um, so I am, I'm just incredibly like excited about all the things that you have shared today. Um, and I just, I, tr- I really applaud you. I mean, I think both Danielle and I, we've said this enough in this episode, just the amount, like really the amount of um, work that you did to, um, really like grow yourself through this process um Mm -hmm. just a lot of really good lessons to take from that um so like things i'm about to put down in a journal or something right what uriah said (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i'm like maternal when we talk about maternal mental health and we're talking about all these things like uriah could totally do a ted talk on this because we're so busy preparing the home or um mm-hmm. like i said like as a birth doula i'm like i'm constantly you know we're talking about birth plans or birth ideas preferences things like that you're always thinking mm-hmm. about your providers there's so many things it's not to say that any one thing is more important than the mm-hmm. other but it's like it's all together it's all a part of mm-hmm. it. you know we might refer our clients that they're going through something like hey we know some counselors if you want to talk to somebody mm-hmm. um and sometimes going to a counselor, that's such a big step for a person, even when they're not pregnant, that they don't right. do it yeah. when they're pregnant either. You know what I mean? So, because right. they're not, they're just not ready for whatever reason. And, or they might have a different stigma about it. But even the stuff that you did is not necessarily necessarily going to a counselor. That was all stuff that you just, you know, did for yourself, things that were important to you. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and like you said, the gathering of information, like this whole idea of collecting stories and um that's the knowledge that is the oral history like these are the things that could Mm -hmm. happen you know because it's happened before you know you don't know where you're going till you know where you've been so yeah right yeah yeah I I feel so fortunate to have had a lot of amazing people around me friends family guiding me whether or not they knew they were guiding me just just by sharing you know it's so good to have um supportive voices around who, sure. even even friends who were like I can't even imagine what you're going through but I love you you know like yeah. even that was yeah. something yeah mm-hmm. <sighs> if we if I could real quick I did want to talk a little bit about traveling with an infant yeah it's something please. that I now do a lot yeah <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so I flew travel. back home what was that I said I love that you travel so much yeah, me too. It's it's not always <laughs> easy, but but it, it's worth it, you know. Yeah. Um, I flew back home from Israel alone with with my baby, and it was 
again, surprisingly easy. We, um, we actually went on vacation to Greece for a couple weeks. And then I flew home from Greece by myself because Nate had to go back to school. Um, and again, asking for help, even when I don't all the way need it, is super important. Um, baby wearing with some sort of wrap or something, also really important because having two hands while traveling is, I won't say it's crucial, but it's, it's right up there. You know, like it's a game changer because trying to wiggle your way through security lines and aisles and stuff with one hand and the baby in one hand, if nothing else, it's dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I wore her on me. It, it gets hot sometimes, but again, it's worth it for two hands. Um, and just being, being really relaxed. I, I, my mantra while I was pregnant was breathing for two, breathing for two. And I had to keep telling myself that after she was born, because if I'm not relaxed, she's not going to be relaxed. If I'm holding my breath, I'm not thinking straight, you know? Um, so just really relaxing, knowing that she, she goes off my cues and, it's important that I, that I sort of set the tone for both of us. Um, yeah, relaxing, packing light, which I'm still not very good at, but getting better. Um, cause you can get baby stuff anywhere and you, you know, like whatever it is you need, you'll find it there even for yourself. Like you don't need to bring 20 changes of clothes. Cause if you really need something, you can go get a $2 tank top somewhere. Like just really, um, packing light, keeping it simple. Um, and writing down numbers just in case your phone dies or you get lost or something, having something written on paper yeah. just so you can keep in touch um, and knowing it's going to be okay. Cause I think that as women traveling alone and especially as women of color, black women traveling alone, we get all these horror messages of like, Oh, this woman left and never came back and you know, rape and murder and kidnapping. Like people just telling you all these horrible, horrible things that can happen, which one aren't very li- likely, you know, and if you are just, if you're keeping aware and holding yourself in a way that is um, relaxed and confident, you can really, you can stave off a lot of the bullshit. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not saying that bad things don't happen even when people are holding themselves together, but it just, it makes it so much easier, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's also, like, I don't know, not to fall into like the super mom martyr complex of like, I am traveling with my baby and I don't need anyone's help. And you know what I mean? Like, I, I definitely found myself having to um, break out of that often. Um, and just challenging yourself in general. Tra- traveling at all can be a challenge. Um, but like, you know, going to a park by yourself with your baby in a new country and then going back to your room and chilling for the rest of the day is like something, you know what I mean? Taking little toe dips out into scary territory can feel really good and you'll end up discovering strength that you didn't know you had. And it always, it always feels so good after a long day or a long trip to be like, wow, I did that. Like I'm strong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my advice. Travel, black women, travel, women of color. <laughs> we need you. We be out here. We do. Yeah. And I think we get real nervous about being able to do that. Like trying to think about mm-hmm. all the logistics and, you know, will baby freak out and what's the, like, it, we just, I think we really psych ourselves out of it 
a lot, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, having thinking, having some preparedness um, and also understanding like things happen and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, babies will cry, children will cry and that's fine. Like we're asking a lot of them. Um, but I yeah. love your motto of like breathing for two. Like that's so yeah. important. <laughs> they feed off of our energy. And if you are frazzled and mm-hmm. they're going to feel that and they're going to be frazzled. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we are out here traveling. Do you like um, do any like social media stuff with all your travel or? Um, kind of- I don't really, or I guess like, Informally, I guess okay. I, I'm okay. probably most active on Instagram. Okay. Um, but I, I wouldn't like. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm not good at remembering to take pictures, so <laughs> I don't. I definitely don't share like very interesting things. But I I kind of use Instagram as like a a watered down public journal. You know, I like okay. to get a little vulnerable in there sometimes. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. I was gonna say like definitely leading people to your social media, looking for tips or just inspiration to like I'm out here. Baby, where yeah. am I? These airports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and stay tuned too because <laughs> me and a good friend of mine who also has a daughter um, are about to start doing some traveling together in South America, and we're thinking okay. about trying to publicize that in some way. Good. So be on the lookout for two black mamas and their babies. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes, mm-hmm. baby wearing is is like the wind though when it comes yes. to travel, especially when they're small enough for you to like keep them there while you're on the mm-hmm. plane. Like, mm-hmm. They can literally sleep and eat their way through the whole flight and don't mm-hmm. think anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. I told somebody the other day I strapped my three year old on my back in our ergo carrier and was like you going through this airport i know that (laughs) (laughs) we are not doing this today ma'am get on Mm -hmm. my back so (laughs) and you're not about to be too independent here right (laughs) you want to go down a different terminal (laughs) (laughs) so yes strap them kids on um but yes Oh, you're right. Thank you. Thank. Well, before I do all that, is there anything else um, that you want to share with our listeners? Any advice, resources, anything else you can think of that we didn't get to hit on? Um, not not really. Oh, actually, there is a Facebook group that I'm a part of, um, which you know I have mixed feelings about, but it has a lot of really great information um it's called black and indigenous mamas birthing without fear um so if you're black or indigenous it's a good it's a closed group but you can just um request to join it um and there's a lot of a lot of women speaking frankly about their pregnancy processes their postpartum process like it's um it's a nice group there's a lot of uh, there's a lot going on but I'll, i'll leave it at that but a lot of great things too and obviously if you're listening to this and you already listen to birth stories in color, which is a great resource. Um, yeah, that's that's it. Travel, <laughs> get out there. <laughs> yes, see some world. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story with us today. It was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor to share and talk to you too. Yes. Thank you.
Enjoy the rest of your day. You're right. Yes. And squeeze that baby well. for us. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. There is no perfect pregnancy, birth, or parent. And yet we rarely hear the real stories. It's time we speak up. Mom, actress, and advocate Tatiana Ali hosts Unspoken Stories, a new podcast from March of Dimes featuring real stories from the joys of parenthood to what happens when things don't go according to plan. You can listen to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting unspokenstories.org. We see a lot of perfect images of pregnancy, birth, and parenting, but more and more people are standing up to tell their real stories. In this podcast, you will hear some of those real stories. From the joy of parenting and the complexities of dealing with illness with Atrix and mom, Jamie Lynn Sigler, a mom coping with loss and raising two toddlers, to the realities of parenting a baby born prematurely. These brave mom and dads have the courage to speak up and share their laughter, tears, and triumphs so that no one else has to feel alone in their experience. We hope you will join this important conversation. Whether you are a parent or considering becoming one, subscribe to Unspoken Stories for free wherever you get your podcasts and learn more by visiting unspokenstories.org. That's unspokenstories.org.